You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 138. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Hello, my friends. First and foremost, I just want to thank you all so much for your amazing messages. So many of you have checked in to find out what's going on because I have missed a couple weeks here and there. Over the last six weeks or so, I think I've only nailed down three episodes in those six weeks. It's been a lot going on. And bandwidth just stretched beyond anything that I was prepared for. Um, I've tried to you know post about it here or there, but basically I feel like I just got off Instagram, got off TikTok, got off the podcast, got off everything and just tried to do a lot of self-care for myself and to just be mindful of when I've begun to lose control of some of my capacity. Like, I'm, you know, I sometimes can come off very much as an extrovert. That's definitely what people will think if they've listened to the podcast or seen me on stage or been a part of any of my live teachings, whether it's in person or on Zoom. Certainly, I can come off as an extrovert. And if anything, I'm more of an ambivert right in the middle. You know, I I do enjoy being, I guess, the center of attention, if you will. I, I have that ability to like being in groups and leading and teaching and doing this stuff. I don't shy away from those opportunities, but I very, very much recharge my batteries by being alone, you know, listening to music or a podcast or a book or just laying in bed and staring at my fantasy football lineups, uh, whatever that might be. I very much am in tuned with my inner energy and understanding when I have pushed myself to a point of, you know, not necessarily no return because that's, that wasn't where I was at, but definitely to a point where it was just take a step back and breathe. In the future, I'll be more mindful to at least announce something like that. But again, you don't always know when you're going to need a break. You don't always know when you're going to need a break. And for you, it's important for your own self-care for you just to understand that it's okay to not be okay. And I don't really have a major topic for today's episode because I still have a lot going on in my life. There's still a lot of self-care that's necessary, but I absolutely wanted to get on the microphone and, and just share with you guys some of the insights that I've learned about myself and, and just some of the the breakthroughs that I, I'm actually in the middle of, of receiving. You know, I was at a leadership conference last week in Grand Rapids, Michigan, teaching people how to speak on stage how to use their voice to get their inspirational message, their motivational message across so that they could build their business, so that they could grow their tribe, whatever that might have looked like for them. Everybody has their own reasons for wanting to get on stage. And amazingly enough, it's not to be the center of attention. Because <laughs> getting up on stage with a microphone in, in your hand and all the lights and everyone staring at you is extremely nerve-wracking. And while I have absolutely learned some very powerful ways to take the anxiety that that used to feel like and turn it into excitement. It's then about harnessing the excitement and being able to channel that through my 
voice into words that become a cohesive message that inspire people to go off and motivate themselves for change. I can't motivate you to get up in the morning and and start working or eat healthy or go work out or whatever it is you desire to do. I can't motivate you to do that. Motivation is internal. I can inspire you, say things that you can use as the inspiration to get up early, to push yourself through that last rep, to do things that are more difficult that you've yet to ever achieve before. I can absolutely do that, but motivation comes from within. So I'm not a, I would never call myself a motivational speaker, and I'm still on the fence about ever calling myself an inspirational speaker. I absolutely will call myself an empowerment speaker because I definitely believe that I empower people to go off and to make the changes that they desire in their life so that they can begin to achieve the things that they've always believed were locked up in them or in some cases never thought they were capable of to begin with. This goes back to talking about the taking action that I discussed in episode 137. Right or over on um, episode 116 for the College Success Habits, I think I may have titled that one something around Get Thicker Skin because I was living, listening to a David Goggins book called Can't Hurt Me, and he talks about how people need to get thicker skin and stop getting so offended by everything everybody says because we live in a world where there are going to be dissenting opinions. And you don't have to take on someone's opinion of you as fact. In fact, if you wouldn't take advice from them, then definitely don't listen to them when they start to throw their judgments about who you are and what you're doing at you. One of my clients asked me today, he's like, you know, when you first meet people, do you tell them that you're sober? I'm like, well, if the situation is right for that, then absolutely. I wouldn't just shake someone's hand, you know, at the middle of a conference and be like, hey, Jesse, 50 months sober, right? You know, that's not necessarily what I'm shooting for. I was like, but if, you know, people are all talking about going to a bar and getting drunk and like, hey, you're going to come out and drinks? Well, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol, but yeah, I'd love to socialize. I'll be there. Oh, you don't drink. What's that all about? Yeah, you know, I just chose not to do it. And I get that at 57, 58 months, it's old hat for me to tell people that. And for a lot of you out there who are at month two and three, you're still worried about the judgment that's going to come from that. You're still judging yourself. What does it mean that I had to walk away from alcohol and drugs? What does it mean that I had to stop being around these people because they they created an environment that caused me to want to drink? What does it mean about me that I am this way? I am this person. And it doesn't mean anything negative. You can decide that it does, but it doesn't mean anything negative. You did behave one way. You've now chosen to behave another way. To me, that's extremely powerful. Because the way you've chosen is one that will uplift your life. You used to drink copious amounts of alcohol. You've now chosen sobriety so that you can walk through life with a clear mind and a clear heart so that you can begin to make sure that the direction your life is going is the direction you really want it to be going in. Now, if you used to be really honest and then you started robbing banks, then that's changing the wrong direction. And we can definitely question your morals and ethics and values around that. But when we go to look at the decisions that we make, the the version of ourselves that we're evolving toward, we're not seeking perfection. We're seeking progress. I have made many, many errors 
my own version of me perceives these as errors. I don't need to think other people perceive them as errors. I don't need other people to tell me that I've made mistakes. I will choose if I think I made an error. I will choose if I think I made a mistake. Somebody else's opinion is no longer going to validate or invalidate what I think about myself. If you walk away from an interaction with someone and you think, "Uh, I wouldn't take advice from them, so why would you listen to their opinion of you from them? If you think somebody dresses ridiculously and then they tell you that they think what you're wearing is ridiculous, I mean, right? Somebody walks out of the house dressed like a clown all the time and they don't have a job as a clown, and then they have the audacity to tell you that your shoes look ridiculous, you'd be like, okay, have fun with that one there, Ronald. I'm going to go and make my own decisions about what to wear. As I begin to unwrap this inner turmoil that I feel. I have a lot of confusion about feelings because I've not generally been someone who tends to spend a lot of time pondering what my feelings really mean. To dive into them deeper than what I immediately feel. If I feel anger, I just assume that it's anger. I let it work its way through me for a little bit, right? Not not emotionally reacting, right? But seeking to respond emotionally grounded, which I don't always do, right? But if, I, if you know, it's like with the bicycle guy from not too long ago when I was at the Vanilla Ice concert, right? I chose horribly wrong that day. I cannot believe my actions. It, I, I felt so bad for the way I behaved. But if I don't like the way something feels when I do it once, then I make the decision not to do it twice. Now, sometimes other people are involved in the decisions that I make. Other people will be involved in the decisions you make. And whether you inadvertently or on purposely make a decision that causes that other person strife, that causes that other person grief, while all the apologies in the world won't make it better. Certainly, determining that you'll never behave that way will put you in the step in the right direction to make sure that in the future, whether you're interacting with the same person or someone else, that you make better decisions. Most of us are good people. We don't seek to make a decision that on purposely hurts someone. One of the NLP uh, laws, we call them the the 14 laws of NLP, but they're called presuppositions. There are things that if you presuppose them to be true, will guide you to a place of growth-mindedness and empathy and compassion and just an understanding for humankind in a way that if you didn't take these on as truths, then you would you would basically then be putting yourself in a position where you just naturally assumed people weren't good. And that may not be the best explanation I have for that, but it's the one I'm going to go with now because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I want to get to the law that I'm most interested in discussing today. And that's the law that no one's doing anything against you. They're doing it for themselves. 
Let me repeat that. No one's doing anything against you. They don't do things on purposely against you. You might feel like they're doing them on purposely against you. But I can assure you, they're doing it for themselves. Someone calls your shoes ugly. It could be to deflect attention from their shoes. It could be to deflect attention from their clothes or from their frown or from their sadness that day. If someone cuts you off on the road, they're not doing that hoping to get you into an accident. They have somewhere to be and they want to get there very quickly. And they've just decided that they're going to blaze a trail through traffic come hell or high water. When someone insults you or hurts your feelings, it's because they've got inner turmoil going on inside of them that they don't necessarily understand. And they're making decisions based upon how they can make themselves feel better. I have certainly made decisions throughout my sobriety and specifically more recently where I didn't necessarily take other people's feelings into account while I was trying to work through my own inner turmoil, my own inner pain. And I spend so many hours seeking to understand the psychology of my thoughts and feelings. When I do something, it's not enough for me to say, okay, well, I didn't like doing that. I won't do it again. No, the question then becomes, why did I behave that way? What was going on inside of me that led me to think that that behavior was okay? What is the emotion behind the presenting emotion? I don't always know the answer, and I absolutely have not made the best choices. And as I dive deeper into my psyche and I start to understand you know, my mommy or daddy issues or my fear of abandonment or my fear of rejection, my fear of not being uh, perceived as someone who is intelligent. I often hear the voices I'm hearing in my head that make me question my own abilities, that make me question myself, that make me afraid of abandonment or fear. The voices that are inside the head, you know, dictating that feeling be evoked from me aren't my voices. They're my dads or they're my moms or there's somebody from my past that is saying these things in my head and I'm assuming it's my voice, but it's not because I wouldn't talk to myself this way. I wouldn't treat a child this way. I wouldn't treat someone I love this way. So why am I allowing the voices in my head to guide me to thinking that being this way, feeling this way, externally presenting other people the emotions I'm feeling in my head, why would I do that? This is the psychology that we talk about on the show. This is the kind of self-awareness I drive in myself every single day. Why would I go months feeling some way and not talking about it? I don't freaking know, but I swear on everything holy and sacred. I will figure it out. I will right the wrongs I can, right? We go back to step four of the 12-step program. I will make amends to those that I have harmed, to those that I have hurt. If they choose to forgive me, that is a blessing that they're bestowing upon me, but it's by no stretch of the imagination something that they have to do. No one has to forgive you. No one has to forgive me. Forgiveness is something you can offer someone else, but it's more for yourself. 
Why are you drinking poison hoping to make the other person sick? That at the same time, it's not, right? What is that saying? You know, I can forgive but never forget, right? That there's still going to be that part of someone who is going to remember it. They will be monitoring your behavior, checking to see if somewhere in there that behavior could come back out, if that could strike again. And it's up to you, it's up to me, it's up to us as a society to be self-aware about ourselves enough to say, okay, this is who I used to be, and I will strive each and every day to not be that way anymore. When I dive into my own psychology and I learn more about my mind and I learn more about my emotions, what's fascinating me is that it's not like these emotions aren't there. What fascinates me the most is how long I've chosen to ignore the fact that I feel these emotions so strongly. I feel fear strongly. I feel fear more than I feel love. I feel the negative emotions strongly. And I think most humans, the propensity is to feel negative emotions strongly because they evoke such a crisis inside of our bodies. Right when you're happy, it's it's a jovial feeling, it's a laughter, it's a a rushing of the blood, right? But it's it feels good, so it's not nearly as rememberable as anger or sadness or hurt or loss. These are emotions that will stick around longer because we'll ruminate on them, right? We often feel a negative emotion, and when we go back to understand it better, it's with this idea that, okay, it happened. How can I make sure this doesn't happen to me again? Now, it's often not possible to make sure that an emotion never happens to you again, but we will seek to be able to see it coming from a distance more next time. Perhaps we can put our guard up better. We can be more prepared for it when it comes. When I go off and I do things that I'm not happy about, and I start to look at the psychology of it, just myself, let alone the amends that I will seek to make, it's not that I want to run from what it is I did. I don't want to forget it. I want to dive into it. I want to ruminate on it. I want to really understand it. Yeah, one of the first steps of being able to do that is to remove that negative charge that comes from it, right? It's it's to seek to move through the guilt or the shame or the grief just so that the emotion can be more neutral and then it can be more easily dissected and, and uh, researched, if, if I'm going to use more scientific, right? It's like, okay... Why was I feeling what I was feeling? What was the the, uh, internal driver? What was going on underneath the surface? Sure, I showed anger. But what was pushing that anger? Okay, well, I definitely felt some rejection there. Oh, okay. So while I presented anger, what I really felt was rejected. While I presented anger, what I really felt was a fear of abandonment. When I felt fear of abandonment, what I really felt was fear of my certainty being rocked to the point where I wouldn't know how to recuperate from it. So when I lash out with anger, it's really fear. And when humans are leading themselves forward with fear, 
then they're not leading themselves forward with love. The two emotions that lead humans most often, and even if you think it's a different emotion, if you were to chunk up, if you were to to start looking at the different layers and go up, you would often find that the two top layers are either fear or love. We want to seek, we desire to seek a way to lead through love as often as possible. As alcoholics and drug addicts, we have hurt people in the past. And if those people have chosen to stay in our lives when we get sober, then they will have memories of who we used to be. We have memories of who we used to be. And now, because we've gotten into addiction recovery, we've chosen to be a part of the personal growth and development world because we know that there's a better version of ourselves inside of us. We know that everybody grows and changes. We just choose to actively guide that growth and change in a certain direction. And if the loved ones that choose to stay with us through the addiction into sobriety and ultimately into addiction recovery, if those people can't step into this new world with us, and we're not expecting this to happen overnight, but certainly as we begin to grow into our sobriety and ultimately our addiction recovery, we want to be guiding and nurturing our loved ones along with us so that they understand like, who I was is not who I am anymore. If you don't hear from me for a couple of weeks, it doesn't mean that I'm off on a bender. It just means that I got a lot going on in my life because I filled it up with a lot of amazing things now. So don't call me up in a terror thinking that I'm off using. Maybe I'm just busy. (laughs) I know back in the day, if you didn't hear from me in three weeks and I never answered your phone calls, it probably meant that I was in a K-hole, but it doesn't mean that anymore. So we want to be guiding and nurturing our loved ones along with us so that they can be a part of this new homeostasis, of this new balance that we're creating. And in order to guide them and bring them along in it, we want to be having vulnerable conversations that allow them to see, even if it's just a peek inside of who it is that we're becoming. We have to let them in on the process. We have to talk to them when things are going awry, when when our path begins to go astray. Not always, right? And you know how I feel about universal qualifiers. You know how I feel about always and never and everyone and no one, right? Like mathematically impossible that anything is always, never, everything, anything, right? Those are definitives. Things don't work that way. But it's rarely, every day goes as planned. It's not sobriety that sucks. It's just life sometimes. And so when things don't go as planned and it starts to trigger things inside of us and we start to step into a more of an emotionally triggered reactive state rather than an emotionally grounded responsive state, it can cause us to slide back into old behaviors. Not using behaviors necessarily, right? I'm not talking about all of a sudden finding drugs and alcohol again, but as much as it causes us to start behaving in a way that our old self used to behave where we don't tell people the truth, where we don't tell people our feelings, where we don't talk to people when we're uncomfortable or sad or feeling rejected or abandoned, when we don't talk about those things, and yet we still interact with people, we are screwing that person over. 
we are doing that person wrong. And that is who we used to be, and it's not who we are anymore. I talked a lot about this in conflict avoidance, about how I am making that promise to you that I will work through my conflict avoidance issues and I seek for all of us to go on this journey together. Right? Because we have this cognitive dissonance of who we think we are versus who we actually are. Our idealized self versus our actual self. I can think that my idealized self, this, you know, I can I can see myself as this ideal version of Jesse where I speak my truth and I own the power of my voice and I let people know when I'm hurt or I let people know when I'm sad or I let people know when I'm not feeling 100%. I I can have this idealized version of myself that that's what I'm doing, but when I look in the mirror and I realize that the actual version of me is unable or unwilling to have these tough conversations, then I realize that because somebody else is involved, I'm not just screwing with me, I'm screwing with them too. If we were to go back and listen to the first 20, 30, 40 episodes of this show, there's often times where I talk about how we choose to feel a certain way. Right? If you're angry, you choose to feel angry. If you're embarrassed, you're choosing to feel embarrassed. If I say something to you and you say, well, you you hurt my feelings, you're giving me the power to hurt your feelings. Right, and then I would have said, "Well, you're choosing to have your feelings hurt. You could have just as easily chosen to think that what I said was just a funny comment or ridiculous or screw you, dude, and, and laughed about it. But either way, I would have contended that you are choosing to feel something. As I've evolved through my addiction recovery, I'm I'm beginning to expand upon my idea of feelings because. I'm really making the conscious decision to step into my feelings. To understand my feelings more, it means I'm going to embrace them when I feel them. I'm going to talk about them with other people who I know want to know about them. And so, whereas I would have said, well, you're choosing to feel anger, or you're choosing to feel hurt, or I was choosing to feel rejected. I'm now starting to grow my idea more that the feeling that we have, while it is triggered by a thought, right? We've talked about this, that circumstances drive thoughts, which create feelings, uh, drive actions, create results, right? So it's circumstance, thoughts, feelings, action, results, and it all anchors back to the circumstance and it, be, and it creates a feedback loop. The thought is happening so fast. The, the human mind is putting meaning to something so fast that we often don't realize that we ever had a thought, that we ever attached a meaning to something we just saw, heard, felt, tasted, or smelled. All we know is that the feeling was there because the, you know, the triggering, the thought can, I mean, literally, we're talking a mil, less than a millisecond from the time that something, an external, um, some sort of external uh, trigger goes off, some sort of ex- something externally happens around us, and it creates a thought and a feeling. And these things happen so fast that people will think the feelings happened first. But the human mind gives meaning to something well before. It's, it just, I mean, literally, it's like, it just happens so fast. I don't know a metaphor to bring to you <laughs> to draw a comparison. Just trust me, it happens fast. So then we have this feeling. We don't necessarily know that there is a thought attached to it, but it, it recreates an action. 
So when we aren't ready to step into what it is we're feeling, and instead we were to go with the old way of thinking, the old way I would talk about this was like, you're choosing to feel angry. Okay, well, what's happening internally is that anger was evoked. I can say, hey, you're a silly face. And if that makes you angry, it happens so fast that you don't necessarily have a choice in the fact that anger was evoked. You do have the choice to continue to be angry. But the evocation of the anger occurs so fast that I would not expect the normal person if told that they were a, a silly face and that was for some reason offensive to them, to be able to, in that, you know, one one millionth of a second, stop themselves from being angry and to see it as funny. If I said that you were a silly face and you had no reason to have a negative anchor attached to that, you might just laugh and be like, that's a stupid insult, right? But if for some reason calling you a silly face evokes anger because as a child, everyone on the playground called you that. I cannot begin to tell you to not feel angry in that split second because it's an unconscious habit. It's an unconscious anchor that's there. Through NLP, we can absolutely go back and we can rework what silly face means to you. But in the moment, feeling anger is just what your brain naturally decides to feel because it's created meaning and attached a thought to the word silly face. Choosing to continue to be angry a minute or two when it's had its opportunity to pass through the amygdala, the emotional ghetto we've talked about before, where it gets tagged with all the graffiti, all the memories for why being called a silly face is hurtful, right? Once it has a chance to pass through that and it gets to the prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain where rational thoughts are made, now you can begin to actually decide, do you want to continue to be angry about being called a silly face? What I have done in the past is that I've allowed the emotion to be felt, to get through the amygdala, and once it's been tagged by all these memories and all of these anchors, to get to the prefrontal cortex, and then I just rationalize it away. Yeah, well, I felt angry, but you know what? They're hurt, or they're this, or they're that, and right, and and then I wouldn't allow myself to feel what it is I felt. And worse is even if I did allow myself to feel it, rather than talk about it, I would hold it in and I would allow this little resistance to become a resentment and then turn into a rejection that would ultimately blow everything to pieces. People's feelings are valid. Your feelings are valid. No one should ever tell you whether you should or should not feel something. Somebody's like, well, you should stop feeling that way and then you would be happier. Makes you want to headbutt somebody. (laughs) You get to decide if what you're feeling is ultimately what you want to continue to feel. And then through your addiction recovery, you can choose to feel it for as long as you want to feel it, to learn the lesson that it's there to provide, and then to grow from it to grow through it, and then ultimately to choose that if you don't like the way that it feels once, don't do it twice. 
If this resonates with you, and I have no doubt that all of you have an experience with holding on to a negative emotion to the point where it actually started to poison you inside. This is your opportunity to recognize this internal emotion for what it is. It's an opportunity to to grow, to expand. When you feel overwhelmed, when you feel confused, these are opportunities for you to recognize in yourself that you're about ready to have a breakthrough. You're about ready to go through a wall. You're about ready to understand something at a whole new level. I have felt very confused over the last couple months. I have I have felt very overwhelmed. I put so much on my plate for so long and was doing a beautiful beautiful balance of all the plates all the basketballs like all of a sudden my brain just had this image of like some basketball spinner on the David Letterman show back when he was after the tonight show so he was like at the 12:30 time slot and like some dude would come on there with like 19 basketballs and have all like these i don't know maybe they were golf ball stickier thing you know when you stick a golf ball whatever they call those little wooden things into the ground and then you put the golf ball on top of it whatever those were I swear this person had these things like attached to their entire body and they spun like 20 basketballs and all of them were spinning simultaneously and then once they started to slow down if one fell off they they would just start a crescendo of knocking them all down and that's how I feel about what's going on in my life (laughs) Right, that I was balancing 20 plates at one time and then one fell and then they all started to go down with it and I'm trying to grab them all up and five or six broke and a couple more bounced off the ground and I'm just looking like, wow, I thought I had it. I thought I had it. It's okay to not feel okay. It's okay to not feel okay. It's okay to just take a pause, step back, evaluate what it is that you can evaluate, and then make decisions that will guide you towards the healing you desire. No one can make those decisions for you. When I get messages from you guys talking about being nine days out of rehab or 21 days sober or five months sober and you feel like your sobriety stalled out and you don't feel like your partner understands what you're going through or that your parents don't understand how to communicate with you or that your friends or coworkers don't trust you, I understand what that feels like. I applaud you for having the self-awareness enough to recognize what's going on around you and then reaching out to me because I've been told by so many of you how nervous you are to reach out, how vulnerable it feels to tell me the things that you do in these messages, and I honor you for that. I honor you all for being able to step into your vulnerability, into your grief, into your traumas, and for you to share that, whether it's with me or at a meeting or in your own little group that you formed or in my tribe, it means the world to me that other people understand what it is I'm feeling. I don't 
have everything figured out. But I absolutely am seeking more answers. Some of y'all out there have 30 years of sobriety and you'll send me messages saying, man, it's awesome listening to you talk. I remember how I felt at year nine or year 17, or I remember what you just talked about. I felt yesterday and they're 30 years in. For some of you, I'm only one page ahead in the proverbial textbook of understanding sobriety and recovery. And others of you, you're 20,000 pages ahead of me. But yet, we all still resonate off of what I discuss. We all still resonate around these topics. I never claimed to have all the answers. But I absolutely have dedicated my life to uncovering more of them. From the moment this show started, I promised you that I would be as open of a book as I knew how to be in the moment. And if I felt like I was holding something back, it was only because I was still trying to figure it out and that eventually I would be able to discuss it. And that's absolutely where we're at now. I'm opening up the vulnerability box to let you know that a lot has been going on and that and it's been just emotionally tough. It's like a Pandora's box of emotions, right? Right, for those of you who are my clients or you're in my tribe, like we've talked a lot about this. That this has evoked a lot of of change opportunity in y'all. Right? Because when we know someone else is going through the similar situations, we're able to talk about it in a completely different way. When we realize there's a tribe of people who follow the podcast, who who use my key phrases who understand where we're going with this, and then you bring them all together in a tribe, it's like, wow. Let's all watch each other grow. I love the fact that I feel like I'm stumbling through some areas of my life right now because it tells me that growth is happening, growth is coming. I don't necessarily, by no means, am applauding the way that I have behaved or treated others or or acted over the last few months. And Certain people, if you're listening, will certainly know what I'm talking about. And the tribe definitely knows what I'm talking about because, you know, I will discuss certain aspects of my life to to guide the teachings along. What's really important is that I'm able to come in here and say, there's a lot. And some we're talking about now and others we're still working through. I'll finish up on this because, again, I'm not really sure if much of this is making sense. It was really more of an opportunity to just get out here on the microphone again and just come back into the fold and, and talk with you guys. I have to be really mindful sometimes to remind myself that there isn't perfection, that there's only progress. And I'm saying that again because I think I said it earlier because it's in reference to this idea to this thought that I'll have, to something I say, which, again, I don't think it's my voice, but it's definitely a voice in my head, that will say things like, I thought I'd been further along by now. I thought I would have been further along by now. One of my clients said that to me, one of my tribal members said that to me this morning when he was talking about himself. And I remember asking him, like, well, since when did we decide to attach a speed to our growth and our evolution? 
And when I got off the phone with him and I really started to think about the session we had and the awesome breakthroughs that he was able to be a part of for himself and take notes and and really have a well-formed outcome for his next week of, of the things he could begin to work on. I started to ask myself, where have I attached a speed to my personal growth and development? And also, where have I perhaps ignored certain areas that I could have been growing and developing? See, it's one thing to ask yourself, I thought I would have been further along by now. And then judge yourself for where you had supposed you would be, even though there is no, this isn't like driving from, you know, Santa Clarita to Los Angeles. And you know that with no traffic, you should make it in 32 minutes. And then all of a sudden you get there in 48 minutes and you're like, well, I think I should have gotten here faster. Well, yeah, probably because there was nothing in your way. Why did it take 16 extra minutes? Did you, did I decide to go 40 miles an hour? That's tangible. Personal growth and development isn't. So when did we ever decide to attach a speed to when we thought we were going to be able to be more vulnerable or less angry or have the better body or be a smarter version or whatever it is, whatever you might be going through? But when I ask that of myself, there's times where it's not necessarily speed that I'm questioning, but focus. Focus and intention and attention. Intention with an I, attention with an A. Because when we set our intention towards something, our attention follows. When we set our intention, I intention, towards something, our attention, A tension follows. Write that down on one page. When we set our intention towards something, our attention follows. So when I say, I thought I would have been further along by now, I'm not referencing speed. I'm referencing focus, intention, and attention. And there's certain areas where I would have thought I would have been a little bit more self-aware, a little bit more further along. Now, I'm not going to judge myself negatively and beat myself up about it because, again, that's old addictive behavior thinking and talking, and that's not going to benefit this situation at all. But I can question my behaviors, and I can question my actions, and I can qu- and I can absolutely question the results because that's part of the self-awareness. Then when we break down the results, we can trace it back to the actions and then trace it back to the feelings and the thoughts that created those. And then when, once we figure out the circumstance that triggered the entire cycle to begin, we can now be more self-aware of future circumstances that would fire off the same feedback loop. And in the future, we know, as people in addiction recovery, it is our responsibility to be better, to do better. That's all the promises that we can make to ourselves, right? It's that when you know better, you do better, you become better. What we 
decide is better is that's up to us. Other people can tell us what they think is better. We can certainly have conversations about what other people would like and expect, and we can seek to achieve that, to come together on that decision. When you know better, you can do better. You can be better. This whole journey of sobriety and recovery absolutely fascinates me. In a million years, I could not have anticipated what would occur in these first 57, 58 months. Not at all. Not at all. And while some things are wildly, wildly above the grade, above the fold, better than I ever could have imagined, other areas are, they need more attention. Where in your life are you totally crushing it? Where in your life would you like to be paying a little bit more attention? Is it your physical body? Your nutrition? Your weight? Your muscle structure? Your your posture? The nervous tick? Your teeth? Have you been getting those taken care of? Alcoholism and drug addiction and chain smoking cigarettes screw up your teeth. Where could your physical body need a little bit more attention? Is it your mental acuity, your sharpness? Is it your level of learning, the things that you listen to, the way that you spend your free time? Do you watch too much Netflix? Do you watch too much TV? Could you be doing a little bit more learning and listening or a little bit more uh, embracing music or taking up a hobby of juggling tennis balls or playing the ukulele? I don't know. But where could you be sharpening your mental skills? How about your emotions and your emotional intelligence? Are you harnessing the power of self-awareness? Self-managing your emotional ebbs and flows in a way that allows you to feel things at a deeper level without letting them spiral you down into the abyss? Emotions are powerful. They literally create our world. Our social awareness, our relationship management, all of these things are being guided by our emotional intelligence. And when we step into the spirituality sphere, into that pillar of our lives, we start to really embrace our morals, our ethics, our values. And whenever we look back and we've done things that go against our morals and ethics and values, then it's up to us that if we decide we don't like the way it feels when we bend those, that we seek to not do it again. Hurting people hurting yourself, doing others wrong, whether inadvertently or advertently. These are things that we did, and now we can know better, do better, and be better. I made the commitment to you guys before to follow through with my conflict avoidance and to speak up more to myself or to others around me when something wasn't going 
or isn't happening the way that I would like. Understanding that they have all the freedom in the world to reject the way I want it or to negotiate the way that they want it or meet me in the middle. Who knows how it goes? But holding it in and letting it bottle up and letting it fester so that it explodes and blows everything up and burns the shit down that you had no no idea was so flammable, right? That's not the way we are living our lives anymore. That's sure as hell not the way I'm going to live mine. I swear on everything holy and sacred as of November 2nd, 2021. Even though I know I made that commitment during the conflict avoidance, I will continue to make it because in 2022, we are going to seek to go all the way up. All the way up. And when we get to the top of the next peak, there will be another peak waiting for us and we're going to go all the way up that one too. We'll never run out of peaks. 89 years old, we'll still be finding peaks. Might be a little bit less tall, might be a little uh, less of a gradient because we're 89, but my God, we are not going to stop. We have a long life to live. We have a long time to make amends. We have a long time to prove ourselves to be a better version of ourselves and to continue to increase ourselves, to have the tough conversation, to be able to work through it, to be able to manage the emotions that come from it, to be self-aware of the part we played in it, and to seek to be better every single day. Every single one of us is better because we're sober. Every day really is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Now it's up to us to allow sobriety to be what it is. It's just the start. The true beauty is everything after that choice. Everything worth having is on the other side of risk. Everything. Let's take that leap together. Because if you want to go fast, you go it alone. But when you want to go far, we go together. I love every single one of you for listening to this show, for supporting me, for reaching out to me so I could support you and know where you're at. If you would like to jump into the tribe and to be a part of the amazingness that we're creating in 2022, you need look no further than hitting me up on Instagram at Jesse Mogul at from sobriety to recovery. Find me on TikTok. I swear to you, I'm going to start putting out more of those videos. And absolutely, if you prefer email from sobriety to recovery at gmail.com, stand up, step forward, raise your hand. I will call on you. It is your time. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine Glow On. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.